Greetings from Cyberdelic Space. This is Lorenzo, and I'm your host here in the Psychedelic Salon. And today we're going to rejoin Shona Holm, who is an author, a teacher, shamanic practitioner, and a doting beekeeper, I should add. <laughs> and joining Shona in this conversation are Nashe Devernaugh and Lily K. Ross. Now, Nashe is the founder of the Psychedemia Conference, uh, which we talked about in several podcasts way back, and a contributor to Reality Sandwich. While Lily bills herself as a writer, speaker, woman's empowerment coach, and now, now this is directly from her. This isn't me saying it, but in the email telling me about herself, she actually said she was a writer, speaker, and loudmouth, <laughs> which is something that not many people who have received a Master's of Divinity degree from Harvard would probably uh, not say about themselves. So uh, you know that she's got to be cool. Actually, uh, I think she is the first Harvard Divinity student that uh, we've had an opportunity to listen to here in the salon. Now, collectively, I don't have a good title to apply to these three highly intelligent and truly fascinating women, but that won't diminish the quality of the interesting conversation between them that uh, you and I are about to sit in on. What I really enjoyed about listening to this conversation for the first time is how spontaneous it is. While they began with a specific objective in mind, the route that their conversation takes to reach this objective is uh, fascinating, not only for its content, but for the seemingly capricious path that they take to get there, just like uh, most conversations. Now, in the beginning of their conversation, when I heard Nache recalling her transition years from high school into college, she got me thinking about how many young people I know that would benefit from hearing her story and realizing that they aren't the only ones that are uh, going through what they're going through. So I encourage you to listen carefully to Nache's story early on in this conversation and uh, try to think of someone you know who may be in a similar situation and, and then play this for them or uh, maybe even play it for the parents of someone who is going through a difficult time. Take it uh, from this sometimes grumpy old man Growing old sucks, but it is orders of magnitude easier and a lot more fun than growing up. <laughs> to be honest, I'm not sure that I could even make it through puberty again. Growing into an adult uh, surely isn't for sissies. But now let me get out of the way and turn the microphone over to Shona, Nache, and Lily. Okay, so we are recording, and I am Shona Home. And I am here once again with uh, Nache Devineau and Lily K. Ross. Very excited about the discussion that we are going to have. And we're going to talk about the plant medicines as healing agents, which I think they were, well, I can't even say they were intended to because who put them here? Creator put them here. But uh, they, they have been used traditionally as healing agents, but there is also uh, a, a flip side to that as well. And, uh, and they can also be used for uh, mind control and uh, warfare and, and, and uh, uh, other things. So, so we're going to have to put all of that into a formulate, all of that into a conversation here. And I am uh, anxious to to hear what we've uh, we've got to say. So um, 
Maybe, could we maybe start with you, Nishé, and uh, why don't you lead us here on this this interesting topic? Um, uh, leading with, uh, with my uh, experiences with it? Whatever you think. Okay, yeah, well, when the topic came up in conversation earlier, um, I thought to share something that I'd never publicly shared before, which was that um, for well, for a long time, when people would ask me why I was studying psychedelics and why I was trying to, you know, help move this field and these movements forward, I would name sort of abstract philosophical reasons or things that were a little bit separate from myself. But um, but actually, one reason why I a major reason why I felt so passionately about pursuing uh, psychedelics in graduate school was because uh, they really transformed my life as I made the transition from uh, from high school into college. And so while I don't um, I don't actively I, I don't now take psychedelics because of the Ill- illegality of them, and yeah, I have a young son, and I'm not it's not worth the risk of it. I did have experiences in my early college years, um, which. Um, I got in trouble for in college and I had to write a research paper report. Um, so that was my, my first psychedelics research paper. Um, and uh, But in between the transition from high school to, to college and high school, I was dealing with really, really intense, um, deeply crippling social anxiety and um, also obsessive-compulsive tendencies. And I, uh, to the point that I couldn't, I could have to have panic attacks just going into the cafeteria or into hallways with lots of people. So I chose to eat my lunch in the bathroom for a year. And um, when I my obsessive compulsive tendencies, like when I was in a in a grocery store and I had a thought that made me uncomfortable, I would feel like I would have to go and touch a certain cereal box or my notebooks from the time I have. I have sentences that were written and then rewritten over many times because if I had a thought that made me uncomfortable, I would have to write over the sentence I had just written. And I did that with reading, too. And so all of these things were interfering with my ability to work. They were interfering with my ability to connect with people. And um, so when I was introduced to LSD in the beginning of my college years, I really kind of saw myself clearly for what I think was the first time, and I was able to process a lot of the things that had been leading to those uh, tendencies. And I think that the work that I'm doing speaks really strongly for the healing potential of some of these chemicals because I wouldn't be able to be doing the work that I'm doing and speaking at conferences and, um, you know, networking with people and getting my voice out if I still was dealing with those issues that I had in, in high school. Can you uh, elaborate a little bit on exactly how um, did those how did those experiences help you shift out of those behaviors? And also, were you um, using LSD or were you using um, mushrooms or what what uh, substance were you working with? Also, yeah, in, in my case, it was LSD, so not. Mm-hmm. Um, a synthesized chemical in this case, but um, I, I know that similar experiences can happen with other um, other medicines as well. But for me, I when I was in high school, I just felt really uncomfortable with who I was, and 
Um, I had a sleeping disorder until I was halfway through high school. My eyes uh, sleep apnea, and my um, my tonsils were enlarged, so I was never sleeping properly, and I was really tired all the time. And um, I, at the time, so my first two years of high school, I got, like, Ds and Cs in my grades, and then I had surgery to remove my tonsils and went from that to, to straight A's, not only straight A's, but I got, um, you know, student of the semester from, you know, almost all of my teachers. So it was this really dramatic transformation um, hmm. in terms of, like, and, and also along with that, when I had more energy, I lost 100 pounds, and, like, and so there was a lot of really big change going on in my life, and I didn't really know, you know, I wasn't really very in tune with myself. And I also had, in middle school, I'd had lice for three years, which, as a, as a middle school girl, like, that was, like, a really difficult thing for me. So I just felt really bad about myself and kept trying to, like, fit in with everyone else and didn't feel like I was doing that very successfully. So when I got in touch with myself through the LSD, like, I stopped judging myself from this imaginary outside perspective and started just learning more about who I was and being comfortable with who I was and in my own body. And, and so it brought, that, that experience just brought all of that into your, into your awareness? I mean, were, were you sort of, did you feel like almost like you were being taught on that medicine in a way? Or, or, or perhaps that it put you in touch with an inner teacher? Yeah, well, I, I I found this sort of like inner sense of calm and confidence and determination because it, before it was like I always had these almost like imaginary voices in my head of like thinking the people around me just were, you know, mocking me or just didn't think that I was like good enough and I was always projecting this negativity, like I was projecting that negativity was coming at me at all times. And then I, I, I just, the experience that I had, a ex, ex, few experiences were so, they were so compassionate and so um, sort of, I felt so optimistic kind of for the first time. And I also, I really saw psychedelics like as my path, like fundamentally, like I found, when I first, when I took them, when I took LSD for the first time, like I felt home, like on a very fundamental level. And I, I'm just reading Anne and uh, Sasha Shulgin's Peacall, and in uh, Anne's section of the book, she was talking about how when she first took masculine, it felt like home to her. It felt like something that on some level she had always known but didn't know, like hadn't been there yet in that way. But mm -hmm. I think that there are some people that really resonate with the experience, and I just found in finding my, my myself and finding my path, like I started to to kind of calm down and not 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 be so hard on myself, and that sort of was a, a self reinforcing process over time. Yeah, I think uh, my experience with these um, personal experiences is what I, I, I see these medicines as uh, having the ability to help us to make corrections within ourselves. And, and sometimes it's just very kind of uh, 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 spontaneous or automatic or something that we had carried some burden is just lifted. Uh, but the, what I find is the greatest gift is the level of awareness that these medicines afford you. And, uh, and and that makes all the difference because, of course, you cannot make a correction or heal something if you don't have uh, really an awareness of of the the, the depth of that of that piece. 
So yeah, it's like it's like having uh, sorry to interrupt, but just thought it's like having a wound somewhere where you don't even know where it is and you can't even see it because I wasn't aware consciously of the negativity that I was stuck in. I just like I felt it, but I wasn't mm-hmm. I wasn't sure where it was coming from or really why it was there, and so it gave me this sort of other perspective that let me sort of like look down on myself and and really really get that that larger perspective that allows you to navigate more mindfully like through whatever issues you're dealing with. Right. Right. Yeah. It's very interesting because when I uh worked with the mushroom I I did for over a year very consistently monthly um I just I knew uh it was a portal and I healed so deeply a uh, uh, wound that I was carrying that was, you know, affecting my relationships, ultimately my, my life, you know, and, and affected the way that I saw myself. And, and, uh, and I, I, too, I mean, I rarely work with that compared to, you know, the, the extensive use that I, uh, I, I had at that point. Uh, but I'm, I'm really blown away by the uh the healing ability of these medicines and then of course you know when i i work with other people who have uh worked with these medicines in a in a very conscious way in terms of you know pro- approaching them uh with the specific issue in mind uh you know then i help them integrate the experience and the uh shifts that these people make are just Incredible, incredible. So I think it's uh, really important to to uh, you know to talk more about about that. And and I don't see uh, it these medicines as um, necessarily um, being sort of taken over by you know just the uh, uh, psychiatric community. I know they are really pushing to uh, utilize these medicines, and I exercise a little bit of caution, or I feel a little bit of caution uh, when I uh, think about that because of the abuses of these medicines um, in the past by that very community, um, and not so long ago. And at the same time, you know, I actually know personally two uh, therapists who very quietly work with these medicines with certain people um, in a really very conscious, amazing way and are, and are helping people significantly, you know, make really profound changes. So, I mean, this is quite a, a powerful topic because it is, you know, on one hand, uh, incredible uh, mechanism for healing very deeply and changing your life in a very positive way. And then we have this other uh, piece where um, these medicines are just absolutely abused and, and so maybe on that note, um, I'll, I'll turn it over to you, Lily, and hear what um, hear your thoughts on this. Well, first of all, thank you, ladies, for for the amazing um, story that you shared, Michelle and Shauna, for the you know insight and awareness that you're bringing to to some of this um, and, and the larger picture of what these medicines can do. Um, you know, if you, as you've both been speaking, I've been jotting down some notes and things. Um, because I think there's a lot that in our in our language about these materials or substances um, that that tells us a lot. For example, there's a reason that we that the phrase "under the influence" 
exist. Um, you know, these are, it's the suggestibility and the malleability of psyche in these states of consciousness that makes them so powerful, makes them so effective as agents of healing and change, and also makes them so dangerous uh, when used for the purpose of manipulation or coercion um, or abuse in any way. You know, Nishay, when you were speaking, I found myself thinking about, um, you know, the the names that we give to these materials. So you use the word uh, psychedelic and Shauna uses the word medicine. Um, I'm inclined towards two different words for this whole category of chemicals and plants. One of them is agents and the other is materials. Um, because to me, you know, any one of these these materials can be used for any number of purposes, whether it's medicinal or recreational or you know, what have you. Um, but what I like about the term agents in some contexts is that it acknowledges a sort of agency uh, of the chemicals themselves, which is a pretty far-out idea. I'll be the first to acknowledge that. But I think it's an idea that's worth at least taking up into our hands and looking at because, you know, Nishay, when I hear your story, I'm just reminded of, of the concept of intersubjectivity, how we are formed in our relationships to others, uh, whether those others are persons or places or things or ideas, and it's in our relationship to these different agents, these, these materials, these psychedelics, these medicines, um, that I think provokes new levels of awareness and creates opportunities for change and transformation and healing. Um, it's got everything to do with with who we are, with the, with the agent or material that we choose to work with, and with the, our ongoing relationship to that material, which I think is really where a lot of the healing happens. I don't know. I wonder what, uh, if you ladies have any comments or ideas or critiques of, of this, what I'm saying here. Well, when you, uh, <laughs> that piece on, on, uh, aid agency, uh, yeah. uh, I see, uh, I can really speak to just the, the mushroom. Uh, but I see that as a, a plant intelligence. I mean, it's not a plant, it's a fungus, but it is, it is an actual intelligence. And truly, I, you know, we look at nature very superficially, very superficially. We look at a tree and say, oh, yeah, that's a fir tree, and, and sort of leave it at that, or maybe we add a few more details. But that's about it. And, uh, and so I think what you're saying is, is just fascinating. Um, because I see the mushroom as uh, a teacher, as, as an yeah. ancient teacher and, and a, a, a great mystery. So my approach uh, has always been uh, to, to, to approach it with, with humility and to go in for a teaching, and, uh, which is why I speak uh, to the more, shall I say, conscious use of these I do think of them as medicines, but that, that is how I personally work with them because they have such uh, extraordinary potential to shift and, uh, and, and assist us on this life path. And, uh, and so, so why, why waste that opportunity? Um, so, and then also the suggestibility that you talk about, oh yeah, oh yeah, which is why for myself, I'm so grateful 
that I went into this, you know, like I share in my book that, you know, I didn't have a shaman to guide me. It was a dear friend of mine who'd worked with these medicines, and, and the two of us agreed, like, whoa, there's no shaman to guide us. We're on our own here. Well, we're just going to have to bring all our integrity to the table here and do this, you know, in a sacred way. So that was our approach, and, and I received so much as a result of, of that. And uh, and uh, and so, yes, I have great respect for the mushroom, and I'm incensed at how abused these substances have been by, uh, shall we say, opportunistic interests that are seeking to use them to, uh, as suggestions, <laughs> shall we say, right? Yeah. Um, so and, and and so that includes uh unscrupulous, which is a nice word, shamans, uh, who are helping themselves sexually to women. And now when I at the same time, I think we all need to uh exercise some intelligence and critical thinking and responsibility here. Um because, you know, even like ten years ago or whenever when I you know, really started exploring this, I was thinking, oh, you know, these shamans, they're so wise and they're so connected to the earth. And I was projecting this, you know, this sort of uh, uh, fairy tale image on these people, you know, and, and they're people. And, and, and some of them are not so nice people or some of them are, you know, you know they, they have a different agenda just because they are a shaman wherever they are in the Amazon or, you know, uh, Mexico or, or wherever or here in the States. And so, you know, we can't just sort of throw ourselves at the feet of someone that we have not thoroughly investigated. And, uh, and uh, you know, otherwise, you know, some of us, and I know you have your story at this, get, you know, in, in, in uh, trouble and, 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 and in serious danger, you know. So, so there is... Uh, a great deal, I think, that we are learning, I think, uh, as a group here exploring this, that we're learning, huh, you know, we've got to really apply some serious personal responsibility here and um, some due diligence as to, you know, what substance we're, work- we're working with, who we are doing this with, you know, um, uh, and, 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 uh, and, you know, what, what is it, there's sort of a group involved, you know, what's What's the group all about? Now, this is this is a really interesting, um, you know, area because there's a lot of different uh, approaches and ideas about how to manage the issue of abuse by persons in positions of power in an unregulated um, spiritual community, such as the global ayahuasca community. Um, and it, it's really tricky territory for a number of reasons, including that there are many people that don't feel that sex with a shaman is inappropriate. Um, there are other people who feel that it is appropriate but aren't willing to acknowledge it when it's happening. Um, and, and basically, I mean, I think we have to be very cautious of the idea also that, that by educating people and raising awareness and teaching people about boundaries and so on and so forth, that... Um, I think that that potentially moves us away from understanding that there are predatory people out there who are really good and that in some cases there's no amount of education that makes people immune to 
the actions of these people, particularly if they're in a suggestible state and somebody with great power is coming on to them, throwing all of this big sexual energy at them, um, causing sensations and feelings, natural feelings of arousal and attraction, um, and using, you know, this this implicit narrative between uh, or or kind of agreement between a, a healer and a person seeking healing that the healer knows something that that the seeker does not, and the healer is saying that this is what the seeker needs to be healed. I mean, we're talking about really you know, massive, massive um, energies. And we're also talking about a number of people, unfortunately, I don't know the statistics, I don't think anybody does, but but there are enough out there that we have to talk about it who are consciously using these materials as part of a larger strategy to, you know, ensnare, abuse, entrap, and otherwise um, coerce individuals into, you know, inappropriate relationships, whether those are financial or sexual or emotional or whatever they might be, um, there's there are people that are doing this intentionally, and then there are people who maybe are doing it unintentionally and unconsciously, but still in a manner that is predatory um, and toxic, you know, and the magnitude of the, of the powers of these substances is what... Uh, is what they're using at their disposal to achieve these ends. And so it's just, it's so damn tricky. And I have to say, so few women have been willing to talk to me about their experiences in this realm of abuse. And I think part of it is because the confluence of all of these energies and powers and saying, yeah, but, I, you know, I was aroused. Well, of course you were aroused. This big, powerful person is coming on to you with all the sexual prowess that they've got. And you're in an altered state on a material that's famous for causing feelings of sexual arousal. Like, you know, but the shame that comes with that is so hard, I think, for a lot of people to overcome. All right. Let's stop there. I want to know what you think. <laughs> that that was, like, so powerful. I've never actually, like, heard that stated so explicitly, the connection between it's still okay to stand up and, and, and say that something isn't what you wanted, even if you did experience that arousal, which is a natural response, as you were saying. And I think it's really important to, to get that, you know, out there more so that people people can, that I think it's an important message to hear. Oh, yeah, well, rape victims, uh, I, I remember reading reading this years ago, are uh, one of the, they feel like a betrayal in their own body because they're having yeah. a response to being raped, but it's just like you were saying, we just put the body at such a natural response, uh, even if it's being violated. Um, so, so, yeah. Um, well, to me, too, this, um, this loops us back into this question or this conversation about these, these materials or psychedelics or medicines as... Um, powerful agents and a double-edged sword because, Mm -hmm. you know, what I've been learning as I've been observing, um, you know, some of these experiences in myself and in people I've talked to who've had similar experiences or different experiences in a similar vein um, is that, you know, in the case of sexuality, for example, we are talking about arguably the most powerful force in the human 
experience. It is the force by which we propagate our own species into the future. Uh, it's the ultimate act of, of creation. Um, psychedelics or, you know, medicines or materials are very powerful in a different way, um, in, in a way that brings us into sacred communion with our world and our environment in a way that can cause healing. And I think, you know, what we're getting at here is, is we're talking about really powerful aspects of the human experience. I mean, we know that, you know, sexuality obviously is like a core part of humanity going back to forever. Um, psychedelic medicines, there's more and more evidence as we know of, of, you know, different cultures making different attempts to alter their, their states of consciousness through fasting, through different rituals, through, um, you know, and then through these, these, uh, imbibing these different materials. And it's the power of all of these things, um, that is so easily twisted and, and manipulated when in the wrong hands. You know, tool, etymologically, the word tool, um, talks about instrument, but also weapon. So it really is that full range. And I think this is a melting pot where we can really make some, some astute observations, um, you know, by focusing on how humans relate to psychedelics, we can learn a lot about how humans relate to power is what I'm starting to kind of think. Well, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I also see, well, I think psychedelics have been used by those in power to manipulate through the ages. And, of course, why wouldn't they? You know, because they're highly effective. You know, if you've got uh, a group together in some kind of a religious gathering experience and you pass out the sacrament, uh, you know, you can uh, you can use these substances for very deep uh, manipulation on, yeah. on a large group of, of, of people who are, again, you know, very suggest suggestible when they are under the influence. And uh, anyway, and this is just what I find so frustrating because I just see so much profaning uh, and not just by sort of casual thrill seekers, but, you know, by actual institutions that should know better and um, and one would like to think that they are, uh, you know, here to sort of serve and protect and do right um, and they are doing anything but. And, uh, and my jaw just drops like this is, this is crazy. And, and I really wonder, too, if, you know, I mean, these, I just don't think the great majority of people are in this culture, modern culture, if you could even call it a culture, are even, you know, prepared for what these medicines bring, you know, for what these medicines can do. And, and yes, of course, there are many who have come to them, you know, completely bright-eyed and bushy-tailed and have changed their life in a very positive way. And that's great. But... uh I just think for the most part also, you know, just there's there's no touchstone for this kind of thing in, in, in this culture. And so there is, you know, next to no sort of proper preparation for this experience, and not just for the experience, but then how do you uh, integrate this experience afterwards? How do you uh, bring it into your life uh, in, in a reflective way, right? Because an, another thing that I noticed with the ayahuasca uh, culture is this just trendiness to it. And then these 
ayahuasca people you'll talk to, and yeah, they've done it, the medicine, a hundred times, a hundred and fifty times, you know, and I'm like, what? You know, I mean, are you just sort of seeking this, this peak experience now? Or I mean, you know, like, what has this medicine done for you? Um, well, I, that reminds me of something I was thinking about when Lily mentioned the, that a lot of the healing happens in the ongoing relationship to the materials. I, I, I was hoping we could talk a little bit more about that at some point because, um, just the, 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 the different models of like having an ongoing relationship versus the more like Alan Watts, like hang up the phone when you've heard the message model. And in the current, you know, psychedelic psychotherapy studies, it's more of that, like, you know, you take the MDMA or psilocybin, you know, one or a few times, and then the idea being that you don't need to take it anymore once you've done the processing. So, um, yeah, I'm just curious what, uh, what you all think about that. Lily, go ahead. I think in general... It's a, it's a, it's a choice that each person makes for themselves. Um, and I think it's a choice that is best made when one is willing to be critically self-reflective and say, you know, is this, why am I doing this? Is now the right time for me to do this? Do I have the time and the space to really integrate what I experience and learn? You know, it's like, I so often hear the prayer of, you know, may I let go of what no longer serves me, um, you know, and I feel like that's a common prayer for people that are, are, are maybe doing this, you know, working with these medicines on a very regular basis. And for me, I'm like, is that really all you've got? Like, I mean, what a luxury to just be able to walk in with this totally vague, like, I just want to let go of what no longer serves me. To me, like, that's a, that's a, that's a, I don't understand the point of that question. I mean, the way that, and this, this is my, you know, it, it, to me, it's like if you, if you walk in with a very targeted reason and a very targeted question, a very targeted, um, you know, area or maybe two or three areas for inquiry and transformation and growth, you know, the more, it's like a, it's like a dissertation, you know, the more you can focus in that core question that you're writing 400 pages about for the next five years, uh, the more fruitful that writing is going to be. I think the same is true for how, you know, how to best approach medicine experiences for best benefit. And maybe somebody's going through a phase where, you know, they can, they can come in with a super targeted question every single week because they're working through this massive trauma and they're going to work it every week for two months. Or maybe they're going to go in once a year. I mean, for each person it's, it's different. Um, but, but I think, you know, really being willing to say, you know, is this what I need? Am I state dependent? Am I thrill seeking? Um, you know, what is this really about? Is now really the time? And listening for that inner guidance um, is, I think, absolutely crucial because it's going to look different for everybody. Yeah, yeah. Well, these, uh, yeah, the, and the the experience is is as unique as the individual. Uh, you know, taking that journey. That is, that is for sure. Well, that 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 mentioning getting in touch with the inner voice is something that interests me in light of our sort of conversation about manipulation, and it also touches on 
issues related to delusions based on psychedelic experiences and uh you know i'm mm-hmm. I'm curious whether there is a way to to practice discernment of you know what is actually coming from yourself versus what is some kind of like external external agency or you know something that's not coming from yourself and because I've seen people get very confused based on like they'll they'll feel like something is something they need they need to do but then it ends up hurting them and not actually being productive or they'll they'll have some thought process on psychedelics that they're convinced that like with the the um, messianic kind of complex that a lot of people go through. So, you know, what is the best way to d- distinguish between what is actually like getting in touch with yourself versus getting caught up in um, delusions or manipulations? Huh, that's uh, that's really good. Uh, just real quick, when you you just mentioned briefly that this sort of messianic complex um that also feels to me like um you know that the, the, again with no sort of preparation uh before taking these medicines then the ego is, is at risk of just absolutely just taking the ball and running with it and and I talked to someone who said yeah I thought I was Jesus on that medicine. and then I got off the medicine and I still thought I was Jesus and whereas uh when I've spoken to uh a number of of, of women and and a few of the guys I've spoken to who do work with this the medicine in, in the way that I'm speaking to they're what they walk away with is a greater desire to be in service mm-hmm. and and uh that that these are are people I see who have that ability to uh have an experience like that and then apply some critical thinking you know to to when they are are working later with with the the um the imagery or or you know what what they took from it and we talked about this a little bit in the last conversation. Uh, that that we had uh, around that that piece that um, you know you work about working with it maybe as a dream you know and uh, and, and taking the uh, what you experienced as sort of looking at it as sort of metaphorically and 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 what it is uh, trying to to teach you and then there are others who do uh, for whatever their maturity level or, or whatever, they just don't have that ability and they fall into this complete, you know, deluded, whatever the delusion is, they, they are not able to separate that from, you know, sort of we're, we're back in the 3D here, you know? So, so yeah. you know. This is such an interesting question, and I I have two thoughts. One of them is a, a teaching that that my teacher is has has been um, had you know kind of gave me a while ago that I've been working with for quite a while, which is you know find the place in you that knows, which is to me a question about finding the place inside my own body where I can really just tune straight into that place and and ask. You know what's true, what's the real guidance here 
Um, and from the same teacher, I've gotten the teaching of, you know, if it's really a message from on high, it's usually really freaking practical and has direct action steps. Oh, amen to that. <laughs> you know, um, which I think is, is really fantastic um, and totally wonderful. Also, you know, it's like how many times have, have maybe people in the community been approached by somebody who thought they were attractive who was saying, my guidance is telling me that you and I are supposed to be together and heal our blah, 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 blah. And it's like, well, I'm glad that's what your guidance is telling you, but I, if you're going to pursue me, I want it to be your choice, you know? Um, so there's that layer of it, too. The other thing, kind of touching on, Shauna, some of what you were saying, you know, I'm, I'm, I started a podcast recently called Across the Threshold, which you can uh, listen to through my website. And... um and my first guest co-host is a man named Caspian Collins. And what we've been talking about for the first two episodes is the prevalence of personality disorders um, in fringe subcultures, where there seems to be a higher population of, of persons with some of these some disordered thinking than, than in mainstream culture, um, which is also linked into the idea that, you know, pathology and mysticism have historically kind of gone hand in hand. But, but the point that I want to get to is that you know, we live in a world where people don't really have, uh, a lot of people have had stunted ego development from childhood trauma or critical failures of empathy. Um, and, and a lot of people that are inclined towards really radical and alternative forms of healing, they're a self-selecting population of people that, that really are, you know, in need of some kind of change, um, sometimes even on the level of their identity, and um and they're they're a population that might might maybe be a little more prone than the average American to uh narcissistic tendencies and delusions of grandiosity and omnipotence and um some of these narcissistic features. I mean, surely some of the figureheads of the psychedelic movement over the last fifty years have d- demonstrated intense narcissistic traits and characteristics and personalities. So um, so it's very common, and there's some great thinkers out there with a whole lot of experience, uh, even researchers who are on government funding in Latin America and such, who say, you know, you're going to probably get one in every bunch who goes out and has the super grandiose thing going on and um, and comes back with this kind of narcissistic... Uh, tendency and, and it takes a lot of, you know, skills from a guide to bring that person back to, you know, you're not an eagle soaring over the canyon. You're a human being and you just shit yourself. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so it's complex and I think, you know, I, there's limitations to talking about this in the framework of, 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 me- of, you know, mental health from a Western perspective, but I think there's also something to be gained by by at least indulging some of those ideas. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, and I had a uh, talk the other day uh, with this woman uh, who is Cree, and she carries uh, uh, peyote uh, medicine, and uh, she is a, a leader in her community, and I, I attended a, a beautiful ceremony last year of 55 women that she led, and uh you know, what I admire so much about where she comes from with the medicine is that there is a lineage there, there is a heritage, there are elders 
or elders in that community. So there are these uh, wise guides for those who come in to engage the medicine, you know, and, and, and I just, I see that as the missing piece, like you were just saying, that, you know, there is, you know, they're missing this person who can, can then, you know, speak with, with them about the experience and, 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 and revisit it and, and, uh, and sort of assist them as they, um, you know, call up the, the parts that were significant that they want to understand more, more deeply. And uh, so, you know, I think when I think of like, okay, Shauna, why are you outing yourself like that, you know, with a book and everything? I mean, I've been very uh, forthright about this in, in, in an atmosphere where, you know, we know full well that stuff isn't legal and whatnot. But uh, as a, a woman at 51 now, I just feel like, I just feel like it is necessary that there be uh, some voices out there offering just simply offering some wise guidance as to how to maybe approach these medicines and, and to approach them with, with care and, and then also how to uh, work with yourself after you've had the experience. And there just isn't enough of that. And I just see, you know, just a lot of usurping of, of this. And, and, you know, like I said, just sort of going back to the psychiatric community because, uh, you know, so it, well, I will give you an example. So I went to Matt's last April, and uh, I, I listened to a lot of these guys, and one guy was some New York psychiatrist. I don't remember his name. Uh, I wouldn't say it if I did. But in any case, he gave a talk, but at the beginning of his talk, he had on his screen uh, an image of all these faces of all these men who made contributions uh, to this area, and then he says, almost patronizingly, you know, oh, now I know the women want to have their representation as well, so I compiled this, and so he shows another screen, and it's faces of women who uh, are known in the, you know, in this area, and so uh, Donia Maria Sabina's face is there, and then he, and, and, and he couldn't say all the women's names, because too many faces, well, one of the women he highlighted was Dr. Loretta Bender, <laughs> and and uh, she is is uh, is common knowledge that she experimented. She was a child uh, psychologist. And she experimented on children between five and ten with LSD, and gave it to them for days, weeks, months, and longer, and um, and published her her work in peer-reviewed journals and. Uh, mm. So it's that kind, and so, I mean, I, I struggled with, do I stand up right now and just, and, and, and point that out to this guy? And I really wish I had, and I was so upset, and, and I uh, sent that guy an email to his New York office and, and just said, listen, you know, <laughs> you, you, how, could you, how, could you, how could you not know that about that, that woman doing what you do? How could, you, how could that not be common knowledge? So this is also something this, that that level of abuse has, has occurred. Well, uh, that needs to be talked about and addressed and admitted so that it does not happen again uh, because there is, uh, has been uh, horrific uh, abuse of uh, experimenting on human beings with, as we have just been discussing in this conversation, these very, very, very powerful substances that most people do not have the wherewithal 
to even, you know, approach uh, or work with properly. And um, and so I'm just I'm very weary about this as I see, you know, more and more of a, a move to, you know, be able to work with these medicines in that community. And I'm like, all right, but listen, we've got, you know, <laughs> these guys who are, you know, putting quote-unquote whatever researchers, doctors like that on, on you know, featuring them as contributors here, and, and they were anything but. I mean, that woman should have been imprisoned. So this, this, yeah. this needs to be addressed as well. And, and, and when, so, sorry? At, at, at what time and uh, what years was this happening? This law was in the 60s. This was okay. in the 60s. So, uh, or, or maybe late 50s around. I know that they were, they were, doing a lot of experimentation with that in the 50s, 60s, and, of course, the military, and this is very common knowledge, was experimenting on their own soldiers. So then you think, right. okay, well, these are people in positions of great power and influence, and this is how they are treating human beings. This is how you know, they are taking these substances and, uh, you know, using them on people that they are supposed to be protecting and in charge of and whatnot. Well, not in charge. I hate to say that because actually these are public servants who are working for us. Everyone seems to have forgotten that. But in any case, so yeah, I mean, you know, there there is, uh, uh, it's pretty pervasive uh, abuse of these medicines. And, and I don't, I wouldn't um, be naive to think that those people suddenly saw the light <laughs> and all of a sudden now they're going to use these for good. <laughs> so well, nice. on the note of the the military research, I just to bring up Peacall again, uh, Sasha Shulgin mentions over and over and over again that the cardinal rule he, he feels as a cardinal moral ethical rule is that you can never or should never give mind altering substances to people without their full knowledge and consent of mm -hmm. what they're doing. And that doesn't happen. That didn't happen with the, a lot of the military studies. And, you know, so that that's something I think that is is, is really important to, to remember, that people need to be, you know, informed going in and to, based on that information, be able to make a decision for themselves. And under that, he includes even, like, not pressuring people. Like, so... You know, if someone's like, well, I don't know, and then someone else is like, oh, but you really should, you really should, like that, that even, um, he was recommending against doing that, like let the person come to it on their own terms at their own time. Yes, absolutely, because that, that, I don't know, I'm not sure, that's your inner voice. <laughs> that's not what we don't listen to, right? That's saying, you know what, I think I need to you know, maybe not do this or, or, or maybe wait on this. And, yeah, absolutely, that, especially with these substances, that has to be uh, listened to. Absolutely. Absolutely. So there is a need for, a great need for, uh, mm, ah, what would I say, wise guidance, shall we say, uh, in the use of these, these medicines or psychedelics or agents, you know, whatever we want to call them, I think we uh, can agree that they are just extraordinary. I, I think they are so, so, so powerful. I think that it's like when something is that powerful or has that much potential, it makes it dangerous, right? Because it can be, it's got that, that power to change 
to either uplift and 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 really uh, assist people to to become you know realized in 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 many ways, or you know to it just can be used for evil, if you will. You know, it's like I always want to make this this plug, which is that when things are forced into the underground and when there's an enforced silence around them, it really impedes the ability for regulation in broad daylight and and education and the necessary, um, you know, information and guidance to circulate so that people can make informed decisions. Right. And, 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 you know, for myself, I just, I, I would trust, uh, well, I would trust some of the actual medicine women that I know uh, far more quickly than I would, you know, an FDA-approved <laughs> whatever, or a psychiatric uh, whatever. So, so, yeah, just to take all of that with, a, with caution. No question. Nishé, why don't you speak to this in terms of, you know, where is academics going with all of this? You know, what is the position of uh, uh, those in academics like yourself who are endeavoring to, you know, bring this discussion forward? Well, I think, um, like, in the in the humanities, there is this uh, tradition or culture of critical thought that does encourage people to ask the unasked questions and look into the taboo. So in that sense, there's a lot of room for sort of for critical thinking about the, you know, the psychedelic cultures and use of these agents and materials. But I would say the vast majority of people that are working publicly on the topic of psychedelics in academia are mostly in the sciences where they don't have as much leeway to um, sort of speculate and critique because they're trying to work within, they're, they're trying to be, you know, even more mainstream than the mainstream scientists. They have to dot all their I's, cross all their T's, so they're not trying to make waves, like actually actually the opposite. And like Jack Davies, who's the, uh, he's uh, he works for communications with the Drug Policy Alliance, has said, he, he says that he, his job is to make drugs seem boring. And I think that the scientists, you know, they're all, they're trying to do stuff that's not very, you know, it's moving forward at a slow and steady pace. So, but I, I can't, you know, speak much to that world because I'm so, you know, the, the humanities are so very different in the approach and the also the the freedom to explore into different ideas. Mm-hmm. Lily, any thoughts? Well, you know, I mean, this is really interesting to me because there is a, a medicalization of these materials happening that, you know, I know I have some mixed feelings about. I know a lot of other people have mixed feelings about. Um, and, and one of the areas I think is really compelling for further research and, you know, if I were provided the, the necessary sort of funding to do this, it's something I'd love to take up, which is, um, really the religious studies aspect and, and looking at the religious aspects of these communities and these experiences, um, because I think that's 
that's also a really important framework and and there isn't much work that's been done for building that framework up and and getting a sense of how to look at these materials in that kind of way but um so I, I think that's definitely something that's missing, but it's also fantastic to know that, you know, Nishe is, is doing the phenomenal work that she's doing with, you know, rigor and passion and, and really, you know, making this effort with psychedemia and other events to to bring psychedelics and the humanities to into people's awareness. I mean, that's really, it's, it's like the last five years that, that that's been really done at all as far as I know since... Uh, since back in the day. So, um, so Nishay, I'm just, thank you for doing the work that you're doing, you know. Um, and Shauna, you are, are doing something really amazing too of, of getting these voices of medicine women, um, at, you know, and, and wanting to give them a place to speak because, you know, those bodies of knowledge are just as important and valid and, and deep and, and interesting and rich and legitimate as the knowledge that's coming out of our, our schools. So, you know, something's happening, <laughs> which is great. But one thing that I, and definitely I, I wholeheartedly agree with all that, and thank you so much for your work as well. But one thing, just to mention the medicine woman, women, uh, the, I think it's really important, super, super important to be getting these voices and different perspectives into the conversation. But one thing that has come up for me personally, and I was reminded of it by um, Shauna's comment about the separate slides for the for the men and the women working in the in the field. And one thing that I've tended to see is that, like, oftentimes women are brought in to events to speak about women's issues specifically. Like the men talk about yep. general issues and the women speak about women's issues. And that Absolutely. I find highly problematic. I think that it's important to talk about women's issues, but I also think that women need to be part of the general issues conversation as well. Oh, yes, absolutely. Well, you know, when I spoke with this uh, this uh, Cree uh, woman, her name is uh, Alyssa Old. Coyote. Mm-hmm. When it comes to women, women's issues, I mean, she's just she's just talking about real life. She's talking about she, she's bringing forth uh, just a great deal of, of wisdom in a very simple way that we can all relate to. You know that 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 we all need to hear, whether we're black or white or male or female or you know whatever. Um, you know, having sort of nothing to do with uh, gender. Uh, but, but sort of bringing it back to brass tacks in terms of, I think, you know, they sort of bring us back to what's really important. And, and, and also the male wisdom keepers as well. I mean, I did have a, a, a journey on the medicine, you know, I, 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 I speak with ancestors on that medicine, but the grandfathers came and they said, dear one, don't forget about us. <laughs> we, we have something to say as well. <laughs> and, uh, and so ultimately, you know, my feeling is in terms of, you know, getting those women's voices out there, uh, just, uh, you know, to sort of bring us back to what is important. Cause, because I, I see, and, and, and Alyssa spoke to this as well, like our planet is being systematically decimated. I mean, she is in dire straits, you know. And, and, and that's really ultimately what we, you know, we need to address is, is how can we change our ways and, and not be so uh, caught up in this sort of um, 
I think, artificial divisive uh, agenda, you know, sort of designed to sort of keep us bickering constantly. And, and meanwhile, you know, we've got really big, important things to uh, to work on here and that ultimately uh, it's hard to get a group together of people who are totally dis uh, dysfunctional and will not own their stuff and and, and constantly cause problems, you know. So, so I see the... Ultimately, these medicines as a way of, uh, of healing agents to help you uh, see your, your, your shadow and, and ultimately get your, your shit together so that you can go out there and make a difference and think critically and work with other people in a cohesive way and, and, and spot, you know, the, the, the bullshit. And, and all of that, I mean, that, that is what we ultimately need. And, and that is what I, I see these medicines as being able to assist if used properly. Yeah, I love that. It's like on a certain level, maybe the paradox is that it's not really about the medicines at all. You know, it's, it's about what they're teaching us and, and what they're, they're enabling us to go out into the world and do. Um, it's an interesting idea I like to toss around in my head sometimes. Um, and Nishay, jumping back for a second to what you were saying about um, basically tokenism, <laughs> you know, um, and many times I have felt like the token woman at the event, you know, where I was invited not because of you know, my ideas and, and what it is that I, the fullness of what I bring, but because of my genitals. <laughs> you know, and as though I somehow am the representative voice of this feminine. Like, no, no, I'm I'm a human just like everyone else and I have more to speak about than women's and feminine issues or questions or concerns or experiences. And uh so, you know, I mean it's but it's but it's so pervasive. It's so pervasive. And at this point it's like we can talk about it and we can laugh. You know, <laughs> and um, and we can create our own alternatives, and um, you know, and accept invitations when they come, and and you know, fly in the face of what's expected of us. Well, I I think you know also the guys in the audience, a lot of them want to hear more uh, women's voices. They they want that too. I mean, I, I, what 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 shocked me the most when that little talk I gave you know, went on Psychedelic Salon last year. Oh, my God, I heard from so many people, mostly guys, really, really cool, great guys, you know, who were wanted, you know, to initiate more of a dialogue and were, you know, really, really interested in what I had to say. And so, you know, they 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 want that, too. It's, uh, I don't know who's organizing these conferences. <laughs> well, here, here's the other thing, too, you know, I find a lot of the response that I get from different talks that I put out there or, um, you know, requests for testimonials, 98% of it is men. Mm -hmm. And I don't understand that. I mean, I'm, I'm down. I want to be in conversation with all kinds of people, and I really appreciate their engagement and involvement in the conversation. But I just keep asking myself, where are the women? And why aren't there more women that, that want to talk about these things? And, you know, what, what is this? You know, is there something I can be doing that's more welcoming to women in the conversation? How, how do I encourage more women to get involved? Because, because I really want to be hearing from women about their experiences. I, I, you know what, I just have a sense that that's going to change for you, Lily. 
I just do. I mean, I, I also think with this exploration, it seems to be, it seems to be that there are more guys exploring this than there are uh, women exploring it. It's, I, I think that's, that's so. Um, at the same time, the women who are exploring it, um, they're going pretty deep. <laughs> and, uh, and my God, I mean, I would just, you know, I, I don't know. I just, I just get intuitively, it's just going to be a matter of months and you're going to be, you know, in, in touch with a, a, a great many more women. Maybe they just, because I, I didn't really know of you until Niche told me about you, right? So, so it may be just a matter of sort of getting you before more of these, more of these women. Right. Hope so. I hope so. You know, I really, really do. Mm-hmm. Because that's fundamentally, I think, what we're up to, even in this podcast. You know, is is empowering women's voices beyond our own, and and you know, trying to encourage more women to enter into this conversation and and be public with what they know and and what they care about and what they're thinking about because, you know, the world needs more women speaking out on all kinds of things, you know. So I think it's it's really possible and I I think this is, you know, this podcast is, is really a wonderful platform to begin to incorporate more voices into the, into at least our tiny little corner of the conversation. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, and 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 voices that don't really get heard <laughs> otherwise. Yeah. yeah. You know, I mean, just again, just to bring it back to this woman, Alyssa, like she doesn't have any letters after her name, and you know, you won't hear her or see her on the conference circuit. You know, um, right. be lucky if you come into contact with someone like like that and um yeah. and I just you know for me those are the people I want to sit at the feet of these people who are really in touch with a uh uh wisdom that I I can then take from that and and apply to my life and and then share it in in my way uh I just think that is is so hugely important and and that is the missing link I think with these medicines or agents, that is the missing link in our modern culture is we do not have uh, those kind of, of wisdom keeper guides. And, well, hey, <laughs> it's illegal in this culture. So those good people would be, you know, thrown in, 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 in jail if they don't play their cards right. So it's just uh, it's a shame. And so... Um, and then we've just got these, these sort of architects of the profane, I call them. Mm. You know, these, whatever, whatever, you know, we've got their sort of mitts in this in, in the background and, you know, CIA and otherwise, and they are just playing uh, a very mean and very, um, uh, I, I just think of these guys as sort of knuckle draggers. I mean, they're shrewd, but, but it's just like that is not evolved and, and, and the human beings are capable of, in other words, we could create a heaven on earth. I mean, I really think that this planet, that this is the garden. We're in the garden. And there's a beast in the garden, and it's a mind virus, you know. And so these medicines, you know, to speak on, on, on that level, I see it as the plant medicines, as Mother Earth calling her children back and saying, you've forgotten yourself. Come on now, come back to me and remember who, who you are. And, and, and take good care of yourself and take good care of each other 
and stop getting involved in all these mental constructs. They're just constructs. You know, ideologies and agendas, they're not even real. You know, we come back to what is real. Come back to truth and, 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 and kindness and taking care of each other. Because I really, I mean, I look at our society and I'm appalled. I really, I don't like modern culture. I don't like crowds. I just, I don't like it. I don't like, you know, the, the media, the government, all this stuff. I just shake my head. Because I, I can see, I can see through the Maya of it. Mm-hmm. So, so, you know, here we have these um, extraordinary substances. God knows, you know, the deep mystery uh, to, to these substances that, that, that will afford us the opportunity, I think, to, to change on deep, deep levels that could affect the entire planet if, 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 if allowed. And, and that's what I, I would like to see, sort of call that back from those who have been using them in a destructive manner, call that back and say, mm-mm, mm-mm. You know, these are these are agents of, of, of healing and illumination, and uh, and 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 you know require good guidance. You know, from from you know people with with integrity. Ultimately, uh, one one thing about the 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 conference circuit, like the psychedelic conference circuit, there's a there's a tendency to call on people who are already well established and partially to bring people in people want to buy tickets to see people they already know about but i feel like there's less active searching to find people who are not yet plugged into that circuit sure. um, it's easier to kind of call on the you know mm-hmm. the, the list of names you already have and mm-hmm. so i think that part of the work is is really being intentional about reaching out and 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 asking through networks to to find people that that do you know are interested in coming forward and and sharing what they have to say but just aren't yet like known by the people who are putting a lot of these events together right or 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 wouldn't even know themselves even how to sort of enter into the fray you know because mm-hmm. they're just not otherwise connected with that mm-hmm. they're busy doing you know the work that they do so so yeah, definitely will take a little added effort, but that is, of course, a very good point that they've got tickets to sell. Mm-hmm. And and you know, still you could have a couple of popular names and then throw in some really good gems in there and introduce people to you know some really good information. Yeah, I mean that's how mm-hmm. like music festivals work. You have your headliners and then you have the you know maybe like less well known mm-hmm. acts. Right. But- well, you know, I love uh, what the Women's Visionary Congress has, has been doing. I think that they have been uh, really, um, they've done a great job in, in, in bringing in a really nice variety of uh, women. And, and, and they always have a few guys in there, too. The guys are great. Uh, but um, just in the, the two years in a row that I have I've attended, I was really, um, really blown away. And uh, they had a couple of really amazing medicine woman there, one who spoke two years in a row, who I just adore. And, uh, yeah, we, we need more of that, or we need more, yeah, more of that maybe kind of model as well. Right. 
which is a great opportunity for a plug. There is going to be a Women's Visionary Congress in Vancouver, Canada, uh, coming up in this November, I think uh, the 15th, yeah, the 14th and 15th. Um, and that's going to be a really interesting confluence of thinkers. Some of the um, founding women from the WDC in the U.S. will be there. I'm going up to um, kind of co-facilitate a conversation and workshop on Friday around the issue of shamanic abuse particularly. Um, and it's going to be a whole lot of fun. So if any of our listeners are inclined to join, especially if you're local to Canada, please come and talk with us. Oh, fantastic. Thanks for that. Yeah, their, their website, we'll just Google Women's Visionary Congress, and they'll have all that information on their website. Sure. Fantastic. Well, shall we uh, wrap this up? I think so. Yeah. All right, so any concluding remarks here? Well, ladies, it's been it's just so wonderful to talk with, with both of you and um, such dynamic conversation. I know we both come from both we all three of us and both of you come from such different um backgrounds and areas of expertise it's, it feels really amazing to get to talk and excited about more to come um and i know that uh you shauna and i myself um, have different offerings for people um in the form of teachings and things like that that people can get in touch with us around working with us um so the conversation continues wonderful Hey, yeah, thank you both very much. I have was taking notes like frantically the whole time with all kinds of exclamation marks and everything. So I would really made me think about things in, you know, slightly different ways than I, I had been. So I, I really appreciate that. Oh, thank you, Nishe. Well, thank you both of you. This is I, I I mean, I really I love talking to the two of you. I can feel a lot of electricity here and uh and so I will very much look forward to another conversation and also uh, let the listeners know that Lorenzo has asked us to uh, take over um, some of the podcasts to, to assist him to bring in more voices of, of women. So there will be more conversations among the three of us and also on our own um, conversations with maybe other people whose voices we want to bring into the uh the conversation here, uh, or featuring uh, talks that uh, have been given uh, by, by, by different women. So I think this is going to be a really wonderful addition to the salon, and, and I'm so honored, you know, that, that, that I've been asked, that, you know, we have been asked to, to do this, and, and, and I think we're going to endeavor to bring in some, some really wonderful uh, women to this area. So thank you both, and uh, and we'll we'll do this again soon. Yeah, thank you. Bye. Yeah, thanks. Bye. You're listening to the Psychedelic Salon, where people are changing their lives one thought at a time. And thanks to the three of you as well. Unlike me, uh, you actually have lives that have deadlines and demands. <laughs> so it's uh, really doubly fine of you to take the time to share your thoughts with us here in the salon. I, I think this is really going to be fun. I was going to say that uh, I can't wait to hear their next offering, but then I remembered that Shona already sent it to me. And it's a conversation between her and Aslam Old Coyote, who uh, is the medicine woman that she spoke of a few minutes ago. 
And I'll play that here in the salon right after my next podcast, after this one, which, uh, well, it's going to be one of the 2014 Palenque Norte talks, if all goes well. So uh, stay tuned. Now, I do have one brief comment I'd like to make about the part of the discussion that we just heard regarding Alan Watts' famous remark that goes, when you get the message, hang up the phone. Now, my dearly departed friend, Gary Fisher, happened to actually be at the dinner table when that famous remark was first made. And uh, by the way, if you're new to the salon and don't know about Gary Fisher's pioneering work with uh, psychedelics, not to mention his uh, being deeply involved with the early Tim Leary scene, then uh, go to our program notes, which you can get to via psychedelicsalon.us, and in the right sidebar under categories, click on the uh, Gary Fisher link and Maybe listen to a couple of those podcasts. Uh, I think you're going to find out that he was a truly amazing man, and he was a very good friend. Anyway, uh, Gary first told me that story one night while I was uh, trying to convince him to uh, come to an ayahuasca session with me. And at the time, I was in my 60s, and Gary was in his 70s. So I tried to give him a hard time and say uh, he was just avoiding it because he'd grown old. But Gary, in his very calm and mild-mannered way, just gently smiled at me and said, Don't worry, you'll find out for yourself when it's time. Of course, I didn't believe him. And uh, also, of course, uh, he was right. (laughs) Because, uh, well, a few years ago, I was participating in an ayahuasca ceremony that several of our longtime participants had skipped. Then I got to thinking about how much these events had become more social for me than spiritual. And, well, that was the last time I participated in an ayahuasca ceremony. The message finally arrived, just clear as a bell, and so I hung up the phone. But don't despair. (laughs) I still have hundreds of stories left to tell about what I heard before I hung up that beautiful phone. And one of them that uh, you may have already heard here in the salon, I feel that I must retell again now, uh, although only briefly, I promise. And I'll preface by saying that I truly enjoyed the conversation that we just heard. I basically agreed with all that they said, and I learned some things that I didn't know before. There is uh, only one slight clarification that I'd like to make so as to uh, keep a part of our community history very clear. In the 50s and 60s, the U.S. government conducted two major human research programs involving psychedelics. One was the infamous CIA program called MKUltra. That was the dirty one, the one where unsuspecting subjects were dosed and then observed, uh, among some other even more despicable practices. The other program was run by the Army under the direction of Dr. James S. Ketchum. And Dr. Ketchum has written an incredibly well-documented book about this program, and it's titled Chemical Warfare, Secrets Almost Forgotten. Actually, you won't find any better source of information about this program, and reading it, you're going to find that the Army focused on volunteers who were previously well-informed about the experiments. And uh, I believe Jim's version of these events because I sat across the table from him for several afternoons at Burning Man one year, after Sasha Shulgin introduced us. And did I mention that Sasha also wrote the introduction to this book? my copy of which is inscribed to the greatest podcast interviewer in the civilized world, Best Wishes Jim Ketchum. Well, he's a really good man. He did things right, and he also moved psychedelic science ahead in as safe and a humane way as, uh, well, as anyone conceived in the 1950s. Now, back to the conversation that we just listened to, 
I remain not only deeply impressed by the wisdom these three women have to offer us, but their life stories, uh, as we're gradually coming to hear them, are not only at times heart-wrenching, but are you ready for this? Some of the emotional features of their experiences are much the same as they were for me as a young man in transition, as uh, Nache talked about transitioning from high school into college. It's been my experience that the first five or six years of our lives, uh, well, they seem to set the stage for all that follows. That little child in us, uh, you know, the one that first realized its independence, that little child never leaves us completely. And it's always lurking there in the shadows, uh, particularly when we're going through significant life changes. That frightened little kid that was with me when I began college showed up once again when I joined the Navy. And again, at every job and career change I made. Fortunately for me, that frightened little kid in me had an excellent first six years of life. And uh, so I made it through those transitions unaided until I hit middle age and I really hit a wall. But if you know my story, it has a happy ending because on the other side of the wall was MDMA, LSD, magic mushrooms, cannabis, and ayahuasca, to name a few. (laughs) And uh, thanks to these sacred medicines, I'm a happy, well-adjusted, grandfatherly member of my community. I don't even yell at the kids to get off the lawn. You know, uh, these medicines really healed me particularly in my transition from service in Vietnam to finding my way back into a functional person in the default world. These sacred substances are not for everybody. I think we can all agree on that. But for those of us whose destiny is intertwined with psychedelic medicines, people like me and Nache, well, they are the catalysts that unchange our little six-year-old minds and open the doors of our consciousness to let in the light of love or something like that. And for now, this is Lorenzo signing off from Cyberdelic Space. Be well, my friends.